You're listening to Taxpayers Australia's news and insights podcast, Tax Wrap. That's right, everyone. You're listening to Tax Wrap, episode 52 this week. We finally done it. It is 52. Yeah, I, I know it's hard to believe, but we finally got there. My name's Nathan. You're joined by Lisa and Andy. Hey, guys. Hey, Nathan. Happy one-year birthday. Well, yeah, I guess so. I think it's a little bit more than one year, but it's it's one year's worth of podcasts, which I think is, you know, a milestone worth celebrating. What do you think, Andy? Yeah, it's fantastic. I'd raise my back for that one. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Well, Andy, you've been here since the very, the very, very start. So, I mean, it feels like... I don't know, maybe we've been going for <laughs> closer to two years, but... Yeah, I mean, we've covered so many issues over the years and, you know, tax reform, you know, it's been the biggie and uh, everything else in, in between. Well, that's funny, actually, now that you, you mentioned that. It's something worth exploring, the fact that we've seen... We've always talked about, you know, I, I can't think of the amount of times we've said, oh, you know, watch this space, watch this space. And then we've actually come back and we've resolved a lot of these things that we've said, hang on a second, you know, we, like last year we would have said, all right... You know, there's tax reform on the cards back when Abbott was still Prime Minister and now Malcolm Turnbull's Prime Minister and things are changing and we're, you know, we're doing it every week so we're across it, which is kind of cool. And it's nice to see that looking back. You sort of wonder, episode 1000 or something, Nathan, who's going to be Prime Minister there? (laughs) (laughs) I was still going to be around. Yeah, that's a thing. But the good thing thing to say, Nathan, is that we are, you know, every time we do talk about it, there's always a new theme and today's no no different. That's right. Today we're talking about innovation and startups and some of the tax uh, things that, that people who deal with startups and innovation have to consider. Now, innovation is something that is being touted quite a lot in the political sphere. And Malcolm Turnbull, uh, a significant part of his mandate is a lot about innovation. It's been something he's been talking about a lot lately. So uh, it's something that we've been across lately too. So today we're going to talk about uh, research and development tax incentives, tax losses, uh, IT and website development costs, which is something that has just recently entered the fold, and, and it's quite interesting. So it's something that a lot of these new startups and people who advise startups will need to know about. So let's talk about this first one: R and D tax incentives. So what's changed in the last, I want to say, year in relation yeah, to this? I mean, nothing's really changed. It's just you know, it's just one of those things where R and D gets bandied about a lot, but people don't really know what it necessarily is. Uh, I mean, in broad terms, it is essentially a 45% uh, refundable tax offset if you are uh, conducting uh, or undertaking eligible R&D activities. So, and it's been around for, for years and years. Uh, they have reformed it over the last couple of years, uh, of course, uh, just to, to provide that offset element. Um, it used to be just a strict deduction many, many years ago, but now it is you can get the cash for that. Um, do, you know, and all the big companies use it. You know, the Googles and the Apples. If they're conducting, you know, R and D activities in Australia and they're eligible, they can, they can receive that. And it is limited to companies as well. So that's the other thing to note with the R and D uh, concession. So the question becomes, you know, from an innovation viewpoint, uh, is those funds, you know, when you do provide a concession, are they allocated to the correct? Uh, um, you know, uh, entities, you know, should we have a greater focus on startups and, you know, small businesses that may need that that uh, bit of a boost? What do you think, Lisa? Yeah, I agree um, with what Andy's saying. And I think what's happening with Malcolm Turnbull being so pro-technology um, with the Digital Transformation Office and things like that and making all his money with Oz email back in the days when I used to have a Lisa at Oz email, email address, um, it's very much that... Uh, the R&D incentive has now come into the realm of a lot smaller companies. With the uh, refundable offset, um, small companies always have troubles with cash flow. It doesn't matter whether they're in technology or the local um, cafe. So what's happening is that now you can um, help your 
help your cash flow being a small business and so it's really opening up to a lot more small business and as Andy said it is a consideration of how you structure your small business as well that um, it's only available to companies so people that are thinking about doing sole traders or working out of their bedroom or garage a lot of good businesses start in their garage just like our apples and microsofts of the world um, that you may want to incorporate yourself into a company to begin with and now you know it's, it's, it's pretty straightforward really a company you can basically go online at, at um, our website and go to clear docs download a pretty stock standard constitution pay your money to ASIC and you're pretty much up and running you've just got to know that you've got some ASIC requirements of lodging every 12 months so it's nowhere near as hard and as spooky as it used to be no all that I think people are aware of I mean it's it's very straightforward and I mm. wonder how many people out there actually know how easy it is to do so I mean that's good to hear now tax losses uh what do we need to know about in relation to tax losses? Yeah, I, th- I think one of the things to note with tax losses is that, you know, most startups, you know, they're putting money essentially into a hole initially, you know, so it's not very useful, those those losses in the initial years until you start making some form of profit. And for some businesses, unfortunately, you know, particularly with startups, you know, the average lifespan can be up to, you know, th- three years. Unfortunately, you know, not all uh, small businesses are successful. So those losses can, you know, c- can get lost, um, particularly if you do have it in a, say, for example, company structure. So so losses in the initial years aren't necessarily useful for for small businesses if they're, you know, accumulating uh, losses year in, year out. So, so it is something just to take note of and, you know, you've got to be in a position to later down the track be able to recoup those losses as well. There are special rules uh, around uh, recouping losses. So I think, you know, sort of the one thing that we just, the, the one key message is that, you know, they're there but they're not very useful in your uh, preliminary years. But you don't want to lose them as well, Andy. Yeah. I remember doing some tax returns for some small companies in, in when I was back in practice and some people wouldn't even put a tax return in saying, you know, I've made a loss, I don't need to put it in. I go, ah, yes, you do. Um, and it's always good to just so to, so to call bank the loss yeah. so you basically know what you're carrying forward because, you know, you've, you've basically incurred the expense. Oh, sorry, I'm talking tax speak now, but, you know, you've basically <laughs> spent the money. Um, I'm still know, with you, so yeah, it's okay. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Um, you know, you've, you, you just basically want to bank the loss to make sure you can um, use it going forward. And then, you know, as Andy said, you know, if, you're in, uh, if you're in a company because you want to get uh, the R&D incentive and you're now looking at an investor that wants to take some equity in you, just be aware of that if you are if you do have losses, because then the, the loss uh, integrity measures come into play. So, you know, with anything that you do with the business, always get advice so you, you make sure you won't lose things that you should be entitled to. Yeah, and it's, and it's no different as we spoke about the R&D incentive as well. There are R&D specialists out there that can assist you getting the necessary paperwork if you do want to go down that path and seek these concessions as well. Yeah, and I, I really recommend um, going to an R&D consultant. I've known quite a few in my time and um, they're nowhere near as expensive as they used to be. And the definition of R&D is very, very broad now. Oh, yeah. So yep. there could be things that you may consider to be um, you know, sort of a development you know, that really can fit into the true R&D space. Now, website development costs, this is something that I was quite interested to find out. The tax office had been sort of all over the place in regards to, I mean, in recent times, the the guidance on website development costs was sort of removed and then it was there and then it wasn't. So, Andy, what's the deal with website yeah, development costs? Yeah, that's correct. Costs? I mean, 
web, website development is is one of those areas where you know there was some guidance back in two thousand and one, and then you know several years later the tax office did take that guidance away. They didn't feel like it was fit for purpose anymore, particularly these days where it's so easy to put together a website. You've got your skins out there, so you can just get somebody to you know put some text together and you know away you go. So. More recently, the tax office has, you know, brought up this this issue again in terms of website development costs and providing some more um, structure and more guidance for taxpayers out there. And more recently, within the last couple of days, they did actually provide some general guidance um, with respect to uh, website development costs. And the tax office is generally of the view that it is what they refer to as some form of in-house software for, for tax purposes. And so if you are a small business, uh, the tax office appears to be of the view now that you can claim that as an immediate write-off under the $20,000 rules that was announced in the recent budget. Uh, As an alternative, if if you're not a small business entity, that is your your turnover is actually in excess of $2 million or in excess of that, then uh, you need to put it into what they refer to as a software development pool and you can claim that over a period of five years. So uh, that software development pool has been around for quite some time now with the introduction of the capital allowance rules. It's just that with the um, with these website development costs, um, you know, it's really coming coming into the fore now with, with that particular um, development. So the tax office is still working on a ruling in the background behind the scenes we are taxpayers australia are assisting them to some extent so so hopefully we'll get much clearer guidance uh, within the next year or so yeah, fantastic w- that was really good to know and with the software development pool andy it's just um good to note that it works different to the other low value pools it's actually it's, it's quite different in the way that the mechanism works so i think anyone that's thinking about doing it should go to the tax summary and actually look at how it actually gets constructed because it's on a year by year basis instead of just pooling it all into one big pool yeah. you have a kiddies pool in year 1 and you have another kiddies <laughs> pool in year 2 basically that's, that's a good way of looking at it actually yeah, yeah. yeah that's good yeah it's it's one of those things that people don't really touch on it's it's probably out of all the pools out there and we're not talking about swimming pools or anything like that <laughs> It is one of the forgotten. It is one of it is one of the forgotten pools to to say the least. The software development pool. Now, accelerators and incubators. Now, this was something that I like to think of myself as plugged into the scene, as it were. <laughs> Although not really at all. I just think because I'm young, I understand these things. But I'd never heard of incubator or accelerator mm-hmm. before, and these are terms that were completely alien to me, especially since they're not really tax terms. They're just sort of you know they're their industry terms and I never heard them before. Anyway, incubators help startups with office space and admin, providing the right vibe and culture to succeed. Now let's talk about incubators and tax. What are the relationships there? I mean, there's not really any sort of necessary um, uh, relationship there per se. What it is, good is to know. you know, it's a, you know, an incubator is really a place where, you know, like-minded individuals who do have an idea get together and the facilities are provided so that they can actually try and you know work with those like-minded individuals um, network and, and try to get their, their idea off the ground so it is as the name suggests an incubator it is a place to, to breed or to cultivate that that sort of mentality and, and and those ideas yeah I think from a tax point of view Andy I always think that it's a bit like um you know, the vibe in those sort of places would be a bit like having a few beers around a barbecue coming into summer where everyone's got a great story about how to evade <laughs> yeah. tax or things like that. So, you know, you ought to be cautious, but it could be also a way where, you know, people think the best structure could be for, for tax purposes. Yeah. But um, in a lot of these cases with tax um, and incubators, as Andy said, they're really in the, the loss 
generation mode, not the mm. profit generation mode at that stage. So as I said, it's, it's a matter of banking all your losses, getting ready to turn a profit. Now, accelerators go one step further and offer seed funding, advice of industry experts and mentoring. And this sort of brings it into our next point, which is crowdfunding. And, and I guess venture capital and crowdfunding are linked in that crowdfunding is sort of like the sharing economy equivalent of venture capital. But if we're talking about these things, there has to be some sort of link to tax that people need to be aware of here. Yeah, that most definitely there. Um, with all these disruptive technologies, and that's been a big theme throughout the, the course of this year, is that, you know, the... These things happen and then the law gets assessed to work out whether it's adequate or inadequate and then uh, and then sort of the, then the tax office comes in and says, okay, look, we'll need to give you some sort of guidance. And that's what's happened, exactly happened here with, with crowdfunding. So the tax office has issued some guidance on its website, depending on the model of crowdfunding that you've undertaken. So really crowdfunding is going out there to the general marketplace and saying, look, can I have a buck to, to fund my little project? Essentially, that's what it is so and there's various models that the tax office has identified for example it could be donations based or it could be one where whereby you give you know the investor a, a slice of the product or a slice of the profit so so depending on the nature of the model it, the tax outcomes do vary and it's also quite complex as well Andy isn't it because you know there's the old thing out whether it's debt or equity or actually buying product. So when do you recognise the revenue and bring it into assessable income? So it's a really good idea to um, look either in um, the taxpayer edition that we've got or um, on the ATO website of what their position is on that. Now, I'll tell you something that muddied the waters, uh, particularly for me as well, and I think for a lot of people, is that the, the way that crowdfunding, the crowdfunding model is sort of structured is that if you look at these websites like Posable, uh, GoFundMe, it kind of comes across this philanthropic sort of culture around it. It's it's like, you know, we were talking about the donations model and that mm. that's sort of, you know, one way that this works and, and I think Posable sort of fits into that donations model. Mm. You give without the expectation of any return. You just give because it's, it's a project that you would like to see, you know, happen. And that's something that I think muddied the waters a little bit. It, it made it so that, you know, if if it feels like I'm being philanthropic and donating to a charitable cause... You may not necessarily be just because it, it feels charitable and it feels like you're you know you're doing that sort of thing and you're not necessarily doing that. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it's difficult because sometimes it all gets mixed up. Sometimes it's for a person on a personal basis. You know, you're trying to help somebody out, and on other instances, it's businesses to businesses or it's individuals to businesses or it's somebody who wants to to have a go or see something that they like and they want to you know give this person a helping hand. So it is difficult, and the waters are quite muddied and. And presumably over a period of time, we might have to see tax law provide more adequate guidance for, for these people out there who are either the the, the donatee or the, the person in receipt of the um, in receipt of those actual funds. Now, intellectual property, this is something that's kind of difficult because, I mean, the, the law has many definitions as to intellectual property and, and how that all works. So what are we looking at specifically for... It's tax... Tax for intellectual property is um, quite complex for the very reason that just because it's intellectual property doesn't mean you can take a deduction for it. it sometimes it just sits out there um, as one big solid mass. So, for example, trademarks, you know, that's what it is. You pay for it. You can't do anything from a, to take a tax deduction for trademarks, all right? But copyright? Yeah, most definitely. The, the law does allow you to claim um, 
uh, claim deductions over a period of time for the decline in value. That's how they put it in uh, tax speak uh, for certain intellectual property. So we're talking about painted patents, registered designs, copyrights, as Lisa just mentioned, and licenses thereof. So the law does allow for that, but you know, other aspects, other types of intellectual property out there, for example, things such as you know customer lists or goodwill. You know, there's some of the areas that you know. People are really struggling to, to work out, you know, what the actual tax treatment is. Or what the definition is as well, Andy, mm. like know-how. You know, what's know-how, what's a client list? I remember the big thing, the right to future income, which was a big tax issue probably, oh, this is showing my age, maybe six years ago maybe. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was really huge that way. So um, it's always important to define exactly what your IP is and then work out what the tax treatment is beforehand. Always do it in that order, otherwise you could be contriving into a scheme, but mm. that's sort of what I would recommend. And, and and one of the things, Lisa, as well is, you know, particularly now that Australia is moving towards more service-based, um, you know, um, business model, you know, um, less manufacturing, uh, the value in the business is often the goodwill or the intellectual property. Yeah. So so that's why it's really important to for, you know, people out there to, to try and get a grasp, as Lisa had mentioned, as to what actually is that intellectual property. If you'd like to find out more about the topics that we've discussed today, please consult our 2015 and 16 tax summary. Uh, Chapter 15, Deductions for Capital Expenditure, has everything you need to know about R&D and IP. So that's the two of the topics that we discussed. And also consult the October edition of the Taxpayer Magazine, our Letty Choi's article, The Startup Series, Taking the Plunge. Now, next week coming up, we have a, a particularly festive webinar called Give Your Clients an FBT Free Christmas. The annual company Christmas celebration is a time to be jolly, but you need to make sure your client's FBT obligations are met too. Here's how you can make sure all meal, entertainment and travel costs are accounted for now and not next March when it's too late. Reach out to your clients now and help them enjoy the festive season without the FBT Scrooge Scrooge, crashing their party. This webinar will cover the following topics. What constitutes entertainment for FBT GST in income tax purposes? the options for valuing entertainment expenditure, what records or documentation are required, and much more. Now, the webinar starts on Wednesday, 18th November, 2015, at 11am. Well, that pretty much covers everything. Thanks for joining us on Tax Rape Episode 52. Join us next week for Episode 53 as we embark on a new year of Tax Rape. See ya. Bye.